This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today is Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. On this day in 2009, Michael McClendon murdered 11 people, becoming the worst spree killer in Alabama history. His rampage would later be known as the Geneva County Massacre. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Carter Roy, host of Conspiracy Theories. Every week, Carter tells the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and possible cover-ups. He's here to discuss the aftermath of today's story while I'll cover the narrative. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm looking forward to delving into today's crimes. Absolutely. Now, let's go back to the afternoon of March 10th, 2009, along a rural stretch of Alabama's Highway 52. With a population of around 2,000, Sampson, Alabama wasn't used to seeing much crime. But in a single afternoon, one man's rampage created a decade's worth of police work. Michael McClendon had set his own house on fire. He'd ended at least 10 lives. He was armed with four guns, including two assault rifles and hundreds of rounds of ammo. And now he was speeding. Chasing the killer down Highway 52, all the police could hope for was to stop McClendon before he hurt someone else. They called in everyone they could, state troopers, military police, the FBI, and all available off-duty officers. Lieutenant Ricky Morgan was watching his son's baseball game when he got the order. He hopped in his squad car and hit the road to join the high-speed chase. Morgan knew they couldn't let McClendon get off the highway. The killer had already opened fire at homes, gas stations, and a Walmart. Early in the chase, authorities had stopped him long enough to engage, and McClendon shot seven bullets at state trooper Mike Gillis. Gillis was injured, but continued the pursuit anyway. Now, coming from the baseball fields, Lieutenant Morgan was able to catch up to the killer's red Mitsubishi Eclipse. Pulling level, Morgan could see McClendon's face through the car windows. No expression, no emotion. Just as everyone had described, he seemed entirely unaffected by his crimes, as if he was possessed by a demon. Lieutenant Morgan discussed the plan with other officers over the radio. They all slowed down in unison, clearing the highway. Then Morgan sped up and intentionally crashed his police car into the side of the eclipse. He was attempting the pursuit intervention technique, or PIT. It was a dangerous maneuver, but Morgan was willing to risk his life to potentially save dozens more. 
McClendon's car spun out in one direction, the police car in the other. Looking through his window, Morgan saw the killer panic, then grab his assault rifle and fire. Morgan ducked as glass shattered on top of him. Thankfully, he wasn't hit, but then McClendon moved on to a new target. Morgan saw police chief Frank Lindsay under fire through the broken glass. He watched in horror as the chief was hit and sank to the ground, blood pooling under his body. In the chaos, the red eclipse peeled away. Morgan leapt from his car and ran toward the chief. Thankfully, he found Lindsay still breathing. A bullet had grazed his shoulder, but the chief still insisted on continuing the chase. He had to stop the killer. Meanwhile, McClendon got off the highway and sped towards his former workplace, a shop called Reliable Metal Products. He pulled into the lot around the same time as Chief Deputy Tony Helms and County Game Warden Joel Hendren. The officers slammed into the eclipse before McClendon could escape again. Still rattled from the crash, the killer managed to fire at Helms and Hendren and then run into the building. The officers could only hope he was out of ammo, but he wasn't. They heard one final shot ring out from inside reliable metal products. McClendon was dead. Coming up, a small community reels after tragic loss and police puzzle over McClendon's motive. You discover their practices, seek their advice, and let yourself become more vulnerable than ever before. They have the ability to heal what the doctors can't, or so they say. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from the podcast series Cults. Be sure to check out our four-part special on miracle healers airing right now. Meet figures from around the world who claimed powers and pushed remedies, but harbored more sinister intentions. You don't want to miss it. And if you're looking for more episodes on the most radical and deadly groups in history, tune in to Cults every Tuesday. From Jim Jones and the People's Temple, to Charles Manson and the Manson family, to Keith Raniere and Nexium, you'll uncover the unscrupulous methods used to turn bright-eyed recruits into die-hard believers. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now, back to the story. On March 10, 2009, law enforcement chased mass murderer Michael McClendon to Geneva, Alabama. The pursuit ended 24 miles away from where it had started that afternoon in Kinston. When it was over, McClendon's shooting spree caused 11 deaths and 5 injuries in just a few hours. Though McClendon left behind a hit list, it was composed over a year before his rampage, and no one he actually killed was on it. My guest host, Carter Roy, is going to take over from here to discuss the investigation into the shootings. 
Thanks, Vanessa. The week before 28-year-old Michael McClendon became a murderer, he quit his job at a sausage factory. This might seem like a warning sign, but McClendon had always struggled to hold down a job. In the past decade, he'd worked at another local food processing plant, as well as a store called Reliable Metal Products. He joined the Marines, only to be kicked out during basic training. Then he enrolled in the police academy and dropped out in less than two weeks. None of these setbacks prevented him from carrying a gun at all times. So no one who knew him was surprised when he bought two pistols, two assault rifles, and 200 rounds of ammunition in early March 2009. The quiet man saw himself as a survivalist, while his co-workers saw him as a doughboy, and his mom, Lisa White McClendon, saw him as a more important part of my life. I never knew that I could love someone so much. But on March 10th, McClendon killed her. After murdering his mother, he then shot their four dogs and piled the bodies together around the couch. He built a makeshift funeral pyre of clothes and paint thinner, then set the house on fire. Next, he drove about 15 minutes away to a relative's house in Sampson. McClendon's uncle, aunt, and two cousins were on their front porch visiting with neighbors. McClendon shot indiscriminately, killing six people and injuring a baby. His aunt only escaped because one of the guns jammed. When his grandmother, who lived in the house next door, came outside, McClendon shot her too. He left their neighborhood in his car, speeding down Highway 52, which runs along the Florida border above the panhandle. He continued firing as he drove, aiming at gas stations, convenience stores, a Walmart, and even other cars on the road. He hit five strangers, James Irvin Starling, Sonia Smith, and Bruce Malloy were murdered. Jeffrey Lynn Nelson and Greg McCullough were injured. All of it happened before the authorities were able to catch up. It was a very personal high-speed chase. Almost everyone who responded to the crime knew one of the victims, if not McClendon himself. One of the pursuing officers, Josh Myers, was the neighbor of McClendon's uncle. His wife, Andrea, and daughter, Corrine Gracie, were the visitors McClendon murdered on the porch. Myers' infant daughter was hospitalized after suffering bullet wounds. As the community reeled, the police puzzled over the hit list that wasn't and his catalog of minor grievances. McClendon was angry, but he'd been angry all his life. Why now? They got some answers and more questions in the form of a letter. After Michael McClendon killed his mother, Lisa, he left a note in a neighborhood mailbox. He wrote that Lisa had lung cancer and he had to, quote, put her out of her misery. But before he died, he wanted those who had caused his suffering to pay. Following further investigation, the authorities learned about a family dispute over McClendon's parents' divorce and another over an heirloom Bible. 
A lawyer had been involved at one point, calling on McClendon to cease and desist, but with six members of the family dead, it was impossible to get the full story. Even more bizarre was that detectives found no evidence that Lisa White McClendon ever even had lung cancer. Though the small Alabama community thought everyone knew everyone else, the massacre proved that there are always secrets lurking in the darkness. What the tragedy did reveal was the bravery of those who, unlike Michael McClendon, completed police and military training and dedicated themselves to protecting others. The officers of Geneva County stopped a rampage that would have undoubtedly taken more lives had they not stepped in. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Carter, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Conspiracy Theories, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Maggie Admire, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and stars Vanessa Richardson and Carter Roy. 